Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of Why Blue Fluff. I'm so happy you're joining me today. Today with me, I have Eve Molson. She is a woman of a lot of different things, dog-related. She is a doggy daycare owner. She raises service dogs. She is certified in many types of trainings. And that's what we're really going to talk about today. So let's let's start on your journey wherever you'd like to. Sure, sure. So uh, growing up, had mostly cats. I grew up in a mobile home. So, you know, dogs were were a little large to fit into that. So we had cats. And then I just remember when I moved out on my own, I was like, okay, next notch on the adult belt uh, was to own a a dog and started out with a Dalmatian who taught me a lot about patience and understanding because it was a very stubborn dog. And I, and I very much hate to use that term, but boy, this dog and I were like toe to toe. Um, it didn't matter if I was gone five minutes or five hours, that dog would poop in the kennel and roll in it. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, that was fun. Yeah. You know, and, and I Googled a lot, you know, how do I, how do I get the dog to stop doing this? Um, the dog would chew up things, you know, trying all the different sprays and this and that, and, you know, crate train, well, obviously we did crate training. That's why she pooped all the time. But uh, yeah, you know, and just the naughtiest dogs teach us the most. Yeah, they do. Um, so she was like my huge educator. She taught me all about animal behavior and to recognize the signs and acknowledge the dog that I have in front of me. And um, I felt horrible because we tried the crate. We had the pooping incident. Um, we, so we went to a plastic crate. She figured out how to pop that front door off. I mean, I ratchet strapped the dang crate together and she still would figure out how to pop that front door off and get out, uh, the metal crate. She ripped bars off and I came home and she had one stuck through her lip and was bleeding everywhere. Um, so that was like, okay, no more crates. We're done with crates. (laughs) (laughs) Like I'm, I'm just, I, I, you know, this, she's going to hurt herself. Yeah. And the vet said, try a cloth muzzle. And I was like, oh, just that word muzzle. Yeah. I cringed. So went to the pet store, fitted her for one. And that was our solution for two years. And I will tell you that she could drink, she could eat, but for some odd reason, just having that on, she knew she wasn't supposed to chew. Oh. And I would try periodically to leave it off. Um, and no, it wasn't until she was about two years old that then she just, we, we were good. Um, she would stop chewing. And I will tell you that thing was so loose. Like she could have eaten my shoes. She could have eaten the couch cushion, you know, all those things. Um, but for some odd reason, it was almost like a safety thing for her. Like she knew when she was that, when that was on, she didn't need to be stressed out. And that meant I was going to come home. Uh It only went on when I was going to be gone. And that means I was coming home to take it off. And I also think because when I would take it off, I'd be like, good girl. And I would praise and, you know, she could all sorts of love. And I felt guilty as could be for two years, you know, muzzling my dog. But because she had had exploratory surgery twice because of eating things. Yeah. I told you about the crate issue. Um, That was the solution that fit for her. It is not my go-to solution when we're talking about dogs and crating and all that stuff. But that was the solution that worked best for her. And uh, 
I have never had a dog since that I've needed to do that with. (laughs) So she was my educator. She was the one that taught me you start with one thing. And if that doesn't work, you move to the next and always trying to consider the pros and cons to each thing, you know? Um, And back then we didn't have medications to help dogs with anxiety. Yeah. You know, that, that was the other key thing. Um, I lived in a condo, so I couldn't build an outside kennel to put her in. Uh, She'd already chewed through a hollow core door trying to, you know, oh, we'll set up, you know, we'll put her in the bathroom and yeah, uh, so th- yeah. We, we had tried those options and they had not gone over well either. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this, this $12 cloth muzzle that was a size too big that again, she could have eaten whatever she wanted. She would eat her bowl of food while I was yeah. gone. So again, she clearly could open her mouth uh-huh. <laughs> enough to eat her kibble. Uh, I felt horrible that I was muzzling my dog, but I learned that that was for whatever reason, that was her comfort. Yeah and calming her anxiety. And, um, so that, that really started me down the path of asking all the questions. Why, Yeah. why did she like that? What in her sensory made her feel comfortable with that? And that's what we figured out. It wasn't so much that she had the muzzle on. It was what I was doing when I came home and took it off and praised her and gave her a little bacon strip and, you know, Um, and I was more excited when I muzzled her and took it off than I was when she, when we tried the crate and when we did all the other things, because in my mind, well, she should just like the crate. It's her space. Yeah. I didn't make it a fun place for her. I didn't make it her place. And to where with the muzzle, I did make it fun because my guilt kicked in and I wanted it. I wanted her to not, you know, be upset about it. Um, So yeah, and that's where I really realized how that dog-human relationship worked. Um, She was phenomenal um, and stubborn and ruined a lot (laughs) of my stuff. Had to buy whole lots of new wardrobe items, new shoes. (laughs) Um, Yeah, yep. She she was a pain in my butt, but uh, you know, really, she she really taught me a lot. And then from there. I was asked to sit on a board for a service dog group. Um, My husband at the time had gotten into tracking dogs, scent dogs, doing scent work. And so everybody kind of knew that I was um, kind of a dog lady. Yeah. Uh, They would see me out, you know, doing different scent things and whatnot and running dogs. And uh, my Dalmatian went everywhere with me. And of course, you know, everybody notices a Dalmatian. They're not like they're everywhere. So Uh, she had great markings, uh, got her from a rescue down in Iowa, but, uh, yeah, so she went everywhere with me. I mean, when I had my printing business, she came to my print shop with me. She would lay on the floor and greet people as they would come in. Uh, so I got to really be known as the dog lady. And then, um, when I was asked to sit on the board for a service dog organization, they were just getting reestablished in the area. And I thought, yeah, sure. You know, I could maybe help out. I sat on some other boards before, but I couldn't make their first meeting. So the woman who had asked me to join called me a couple of days after their meeting and said, I have really good news. And I'm like, what's that? She was, I spoke so highly of you. They voted you in as president. <laughs> <laughs> I said, um, oh, oh, okay. Is there bad news? Uh, yeah, we need us to hold some fundraisers pretty soon. We need some money. I was like, 
Oh, okay. I, I like the money thing that to me, that's good news. You voted me as president. That's bad news. Um, and I have served as president for the service dog group for the better part of 20 years. But the, the service dog work really kind of catapulted me into um, a lot of the canine psychology because for service dogs, they're raised by one person, trained by another person, and then placed with a third person. So how does that work for the dog? Yeah, because there's such a there's such a one-on-one kind of a of a being. Yeah, right. Um, and so so yeah, so it really got me kind of catapulted into there. Um, I learned from several of our service dog trainers how to lure dogs and how to ask um, for them to do things. I learned some of the old school methods that should never be resurfaced again. Yeah. Um, how they were effective and ineffective. And as animal psychology has changed and our human relationship with animals has changed, we really get to understand more of choice, giving dogs choice and helping them to make right choices. And that is a lot of the, uh, the work that goes into working with the service dogs is we need them to be very diligent in their yeah. job but we understand they are a dog. Yeah. So when they see the squirrel run past on the sidewalk and they're with their person who's in a wheelchair, they need to make the right choice, which is not go chase the squirrel. Yeah. Yeah. So really working on helping the dog make good choices. (laughs) Because that has to be of the hardest things. I know I have, I interviewed a lady who is blind, who has a service dog and it, that service dog is everything to her and is her lifeline to back to her social, to being in her social groups. But yet my dog, I mean, when we go out walking, she barks, she sees the squirrel. She really want to go. She might pull me over. So there has to be so much discipline within, within the dog. And uh, within all that it's got to before it gets to the person who is the person that that service is needed for. Do you raise puppies yourself? Um, I help. So we have foster families. Uh, I currently have three doodles with me um, that we got as puppies from a breeder. And uh, yeah, I'm looking at one right now who is laying upside down with all four paws in the air. Yeah, they like to do that. Uh It's very adorable looking, but yeah. So for service dog work, temperament is a big part of it. Yeah, it really is. Um, Don't get me wrong. We have taken dogs from shelters and rescues and been able to make them into service dogs, but there is so much time and energy put into a service dog. We log 3000 hours of just social work, which means going out to grocery stores and restaurants and movie theaters. Um, on top of the 5,000 hours of obedience training. Yeah. Wow. So it's really difficult to take a dog that has any sort of issue um, and make that into a service dog. It can be done. Mm -hmm. Don't get me wrong, but it, it just takes extra time and dedication. So it's more than just raising a family pet. Correct. There are rules Um, in the service dog world, no table scraps. Uh, no coming onto furniture or sleeping in bed with you. The dog cannot go up and greet somebody. It can be greeted, 
but it cannot seek out affection because if you're in the store, you don't want your dog going up and saying hi to everybody. Yeah. The dog is there for the individual who it's serving. Um, and that's really important. So yeah, there's some rules. It must take a, a special kind of person. It does. It does. You know, and the part that most people struggle with the most is the giving them up. Yeah. So you raise them till they're about a year or a year and a half. Um, really, we look for maturity. They are they mature enough now to go to the next level of training? Um, and so that then you you let them go off to the trainer who then trains specific for the skills that they feel the dog is best suited for. And that's the key too. It's not every dog can is great at fetching. So I have three. They all have the same dad, but different moms. One, he will fetch until he passes out. He's going to be great at picking up dropped items and opening up doors, you know? So I already know that he's going to be great for somebody who has a physical disability. Uh, Lolly, the girl, she is going to be ideal for an autistic child or possibly a diabetic response because she is just always watching the humans, wherever the wow. human goes, she doesn't necessarily get up and goes, but she will sit and watch. She's very observant. Wow. Um, and so I really like that about her. Ace is my wild child. Um, he will do what you ask, but you, at the moment, I always have to ask twice. Uh, um, he always kind of looks at me like, are you sure that's what you want me to do right now? <laughs> yeah. Um, and he is also my problem solver. Oh. So for him, it could be a twofold. It might be that he'd be great with somebody that has a physical disability, but yet is still somewhat active. Yeah. Um, Cause he wants to do things. He has tried my patience four times by finding weaknesses in my fencing between my backyard and my front yard. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> also I'm like, why do I have a dog in my front yard? That's supposed to be in the backyard. And uh, yeah, he's my problem solver. Uh-huh. He's the inquisitive one wants to check everything out. Um, which is great. It tells me that he's a confident dog. Um, he's willing to not look at things as black and white. He looks at things as being yeah. three-dimensional. Um, so, so yeah, so it's really, this is his personality. What would he be best suited for? Because he is that way, he does not have the patience to just sit still. So uh, he would not be good with an autistic child Yeah, where he just needs to potentially sit in class for six, eight hours and do nothing mm-hmm. because he is inquisitive. So, so it's honoring the dog. That's yeah. our theme, right? And, and every episode, yeah, I feel like that's my theme yeah. with you. It's just honor the dog. So that's where we're looking at what is the dog's natural tendencies and then honing those into providing a service to a human. It, is it difficult for you to give them up at the, at the one year mark? I actually feel worse for the ones that don't make it to being a service dog. I feel like I failed them. Do you feel that maybe your wild child might not make a good service dog? He might. He might. Yeah. Yeah. My hope is there for him, but uh, he might, yeah, he might just be too, too inquisitive and uh, mischievous, but, uh, but yeah, it's the ones that don't make it all the way through. I'm like, what could I have done differently? How could I have made it better for them? How could I have communicated my, my needs to them better and help them understand and make better choices? Yeah. Um, you know, it's almost like a, a parent child yeah. relationship. Yeah. Well, yeah, because you, you do worry about them. You want them to succeed. You want them to right. be you know, all that they can be. And, but if they do fail, if they aren't able to go into being a service dog, do they just get adopted to a family? Yep. Yep. We have a very long waiting list of people who would love to, to have a failed service dog. Um, (laughs) 
Because the reality is, I mean, they're very well-behaved dogs. Most uh, yeah. of the dogs that fail, fail because they can't handle um, the social aspect of being okay. a service dog. Yeah. You know, going to a football game, um, oh, yeah. potentially going to a, so we have some parades and festivals going on recently. So I've been taking them there, hearing the band play, you know, walking the mall and just being in a crowd, uh, seeing the reflection in a dressing room mirror. Oh, um, so yeah, so it's those things that we, we work on them um, as young dogs, you know, if they seem nervous or what have you, we work them through it. But, you know, if it's something that we can't get them over, then yeah, potentially if they don't score high enough on the scale. And I'm sure that it, it, it might be upsetting for, you know, to see them fail, but it's good that you do have a long list of people that, that want to adopt. Yeah. Yep. Every now and again, I'll be like, oh, maybe I should keep this one. And yeah. Go, but if I do, then I can't keep moving forward yeah. and helping others. So, yeah. you know, there is always that little bit of a tug on the heartstrings, but watching them go on to become service dogs and help the people that they were meant to help is so rewarding in yeah. so many ways. Do you get to um, see it all the way through to the end because you are the president of the organization? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, some people who got dogs when I had first joined the organization are on their second service oh. dog. So that's kind of neat too. And just um, helping them with that transition. And it is truly heartwarming. I love to see it happen. Um, right now as a single lady, it's great because I get to take the dogs with me into stores. So that's a great yeah. way to meet um, single people. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that is, it definitely is for sure. Anyway. So yeah, it's, it's helping my social life. <laughs> There's nothing like a dog to just make friends. Definitely. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's a, it's a really nice icebreaker when I'm walking through the hardware store. <laughs> so we, it takes about three years for them to become a service dog. Between two to three, then they go off to, to their person. Um, so again, we wait till they're mature yeah. enough. Um, to make sure that they can handle the work. So they usually get placed with their person when they're a year and a half to two years old, sometimes two and a half, just again, depends. Um, and then usually a working service dog uh, works until they're between the ages of eight and 10 years old. It just depends on yeah. what service they're providing. Um, and then we tell people, you know, when your dog starts to reach between eight and 10 years old, if you want another service dog, that's when you need to start thinking of it because it's a process. People yeah. wait, you know, for us, our, our wait time right now is three to four years to get a service dog. And it's just because they're animals. It's not mm -hmm. a robot. Yeah. You know, we fail one out of three dogs in our program. So yes, out of the three that I have statistically, one of them won't make it, um, but yeah, so it, it's just, it's a long process. You know, we got a puppy raise. We need to do all the social skills. Um, then they go on to their specialty skill set and then their placement. And, um, but yeah, so no, it is a thing. And just because people want a service dog does not mean they get a service dog. Mm -hmm. There are criteria. Yeah. Um, for us, the service dog needs to help them lead a more independent lifestyle. So as an example, the person that you knew that had a seeing eye dog, you know, this allowed the person to get out and be more independent. Yeah. That's, a, that's our criteria. If it's, oh, well, I want the dog because I'm disabled. That's not the criteria. Yeah. You know, is the home health nurse going to visit you less because you have a dog that can hit your life alert button if needed? 
you know, that is a criteria. Are you going to go do your own grocery shopping now? Because you have a dog that can help open, press the buttons and open the door and you feel stronger knowing that you have this animal. So you are going to now do more things. Absolutely. That's leading a more independent lifestyle. Um, and we do home checks to make sure that the home and uh, its surroundings are conducive to having a dog. Are they able to have other pets with the service dog? Cats, yes. Other dogs, dependent. If the other dog is very well behaved, sure. The dog is not well behaved, no. Retired service dog. So, so if their older dog is a retired service dog, um, would they then have two dogs? Is that the possibility? Typically, if they have a retired service dog, we ask that a family member take the retired one because the retired dog will get really upset if they're no longer performing the service. Oh, I suppose so. That just, that makes perfect sense for the dynamics. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, We have tried it a few times and it has not gone over so well. Yeah. Yeah. And that's understandable. They've, you know, they've been there everything and they're doing their job and somebody comes in taking their job that's yeah. <laughs> as a human I can understand that yeah I mean you know the retired service dog is used to leaving the house all the time and now they're being left oh, home alone yeah and the other dog is going yeah that we, we see acting out and all of a sudden they're <sighs> pooping and peeing in the house and yeah. you know doing things that are very out of character and it's because of jealousy and it, again you can't fault them no. Their life for the last eight, 10 years has been yeah. very social and being with this, a human yeah. out and about. So now being left home alone, it's a little wow. traumatic for him. Yeah. So that brings me into, you know, you're, you're very involved with um, service dogs and raising them, giving them their start, but you also, you're a, you're a trainer. Right. Yeah. So my, my training really started with the service dog work. Um, which I would not recommend for somebody, by the way, <laughs> I will tell you, it's, it's very complicated. Um, it's so much easier just to teach a dog, sit, come lay down, you know, those are easy Yeah. Um, because for service dog work too, we try not to use treats and food. Oh. They need to just want to do what we ask of yeah. them. Um, so, so yeah, so I, I wouldn't recommend that's where you start your dog training career. <laughs> um, there are lots of great online courses. There are some schools, um, and I can't tell you that there is a right or wrong because it depends on what your philosophy is. So the newest model out there, um, that a lot of organizations are adopting is what's called Lima least intrusive, minimally adversive. So it's kind of the do no harm concept, Yeah, yeah. you know, and I don't know, I personally don't associate myself, I guess, which is why I say, I don't know of anybody who starts with a, I'm going to, you know, beat the dog into submission, like nobody yeah. anymore. Yeah. I'll say that, you know, that, that's not the philosophy that's out there. But you need to decide if you want to start out as dog training, what is your philosophy? Um, there's clicker training, there's yeah. luring, there's, you know, there's um, behavior modification. There's so many different types of training and you can stick to one 
you can be well-rounded. Um, clicker training is very commonly used in aquatics. Yeah. Uh, marker training, you know, it's marker training is what it is. You're just using the clicker. So you ask the command, they do it, you click, and then you reward. I am not hand coordinated enough to do a clicker. Me too. Right. <laughs> and I'm really bad at it. I but always I, did it in the wrong order. Yeah, and I, yeah, my mouth works faster than my hand. Yeah. So I was not a good clicker trainer. I've gone to seminars and workshops. I suck at it. But for other people, that's like, they're really good at it and it works really well for them. And that's great. Yeah. Um, and right now, due to the nature of the year 2021 and the year we just had, there are tons of online seminars. Yeah. So I go to numerous conferences and I learn from all sorts of trainers. There are some that I don't agree with, but I still learn. I learned yeah. that I don't agree with them. Yeah. Um, and then there are other trainers that I go, oh my gosh, that's a phenomenal idea. I love that concept. So for me, becoming well-rounded and knowing what my philosophy is and how I want to work with dogs um, has led me down numerous paths. Um, and there are numerous certifications. I mean, th there's clicker certification, there's um, e-collar certifications, there's uh, APDT, the Association of Professional Dog Trainers Group has a certification. There's a new fear-free certification. There are so many certifications out there and you can get one or you cannot get one. But the key is to know what is your training philosophy? Um, mine is honor the dog in front of me. Yeah. Yeah. What is it this dog needs from me and what do I need from this dog? And how do we meet that, that need? Um, which is why I go to so many conferences yeah. and, and try and learn from so many people. There's two primary organizations, the association of professional dog trainers, and then there's the international association of canine professionals. So APDT and IACP, those are the two big houses of dog trainers. And both of them have different philosophies as far as, you know, what types of training they promote. I can tell you having, I belong to both and they all come down to the same thing, honor the dog. Mm -hmm. And that is really the key. So when people meet with dog trainers or they, they come and meet with me and well, you know, this is a problem I'm having with my dog. What should I do? I ask a lot of questions first. Yeah. Well, how often do you run into this problem? Oh, once a year. Okay. Is it really a problem then if it's once yeah. a year, you know, or is it, you know, every other day? Okay. Every other day is then now that is a problem. And let's, let's look at it. You know, I always tell people what led up to the problem. It's like when people say, well, the dog bit and there was no, you know, I, didn't see it coming. Oh, there's always some tells. What so led to that? It sounds kind of like a really good dog trainer is a good detective. Correct. They're going to ask you a lot of questions. And if they're not asking you questions, then I wouldn't suggest that you utilize them unless you feel good. You get that good vibe. Um, a lot of dog trainers get into dog training because they want to work with the dog. So they may not be the best human communicators. Yeah. I'm going to be honest. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> it, it's just, it is what it is, right? Like I love dogs, humans, yeah. I'll tolerate you. Yeah. Um, I have six dog trainers at my facility. 
two of them are great human communicators. The other four are not. Yeah. It's not that they can't have conversation, but they, they get really nervous and they don't know what words to use and how to make people understand what they're saying, but you hand them the leash and the dog. It's beautiful watching the connection that they can make. I think dogs really are into our body language. They know our body language. They read us. And for me, I working with dogs, not having to use a lot of words, it, it is good for me. And uh, so, the, so for me, that's one reason why, you know, being a pet sitter and a dog walker has worked well for me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so even if a trainer doesn't verbally ask you a lot of questions, maybe they give you a questionnaire or forms to fill out. You know, mm-hmm. they're collecting information to determine what is really the problem? What are some exterior factors? You know, my dog's pooping and peeing in the house and yeah, I just got divorced and moved within the last year. Yeah. Well, here we go. You know, let's, yeah. let's look on those things or all of a sudden, you know, I've had my dog for three years and all of a sudden they're now developing wow. separation anxiety and that's not something they had before. Okay. Do you have new neighbors? Do they come home at lunch? Is your dog hearing the garage door open? So he thinks you're coming home and now he's all worked oh, up, yeah. you know, yeah. so the, the trainers will ask questions. Um, and you might think they're odd questions. Like, do you have new neighbors? Well, what would that matter? I'm talking about my dog. Yeah. <laughs> and it sounds like that's the kind of a thing that a more experienced dog trainer would know. Absolutely. It's something that we learn, um, more so from the dog. Because yeah. if, if you tell me your dog is highly reactive to other dogs and to strangers, I grab the leash, I take your dog and we do a little test and your dog doesn't react, then I'm going to turn and look at you and go, so let's yeah. work on your breathing techniques yeah. and your relaxation yeah. techniques. Um, and so becoming a dog trainer really takes curiosity. You have to be curious as to the why. Um, why is the dog doing this? Why is it only happening with the human? Why is it all of a sudden happening? You know, lots of whys, yeah. and you may not get all the answers, you know, especially if you're dealing with a rescue dog. You may not know the why. Mm-hmm. So then you have to make some assumptions and help the dog work through that. Um, I, I use essential oils in my dog training. Um, I use some lavenders. I've used some digestive enzymes for dogs that get car sick. Yeah. Uh, I, I went to two conferences and I've watched uh, two online um, exposés on essential oils and how to use them and use them effectively to the point that I felt comfortable. And I'm sure there's still more to learn. Yeah. But, you know, just reaching outside the box. Yeah. Back in the day, there was one box that dog trainers fit in yeah. and that was it. Yep. And, uh, you know, technology has expanded and we have learned so much about yeah. how a dog's brain works, you know, how to release the oxytocin and how yeah. do we do all of those things? Um, and meeting, I mean, I've gone to, I've gone to e-collar seminars. I've gone to purely positive seminars. I've gone to a seminar where a gentleman was teaching dogs for movies huh? and, uh, not just dogs, cats, birds, you know, Ah. so just getting educated on different techniques and what works for one dog and one situation is not necessarily going to work for the other one. 
Would you say that there are traits in different breeds of dogs that you need to know about to be able to train them? I do believe so. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you take um, a cattle dog or a border collie and you have small children that are going to run and scream. (laughs) Yeah. Don't be surprised if they're running and nipping at their ankles, you know, trying to herd them. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm actually working with a uh, beautiful border collie right now. A woman adopted out of rescue. Um, we did need to put the dog on some anxiety medication because every little thing was yeah. just setting him off. Um, and so we weren't making progress mentally. I needed to bring him down a little bit to focus. Um, but they raise organic chickens. Oh, <laughs> so, um, the border collie has not killed anything. Good. Um, he will grab their wing and herd them to the owner. Oh, and, um, or has grabbed them by the neck and like brought them to the owner. Wow. Um, but has without not, killing them, that's, without killing them and no impressive. damage, very soft mouth. Uh-huh. And, uh, the owner said, I'm okay if he herds them, but I don't want him to touch them. Oh, okay. How do we work on that? I was like, I don't know, but why don't you bring me some chickens and let yeah. me play with some ideas oh. <laughs> <laughs> a few weeks ago. Uh, we had two chickens in a, in a very large dog crate in my training room. And we were just working the dog, um, on, uh, uh, to leave it alone. Um, and then once I felt, you know, the dog understood that every time he would look at the chickens, I would say, uh, uh, he would check in with me. I'd say, good, come. And so then we let the chickens out. So I had two chickens running around my training room and, you know, I would watch the dog and he would start to go and I go, uh, uh, come. And then he would come and stay near me. So I taught him that when the chickens were out and about, come to me, don't uh-huh. go to the chicken, oh. come to me. When you see chickens out, that's your cue that you need to come to mom. So that's what we were training. I wasn't going to, I can't untrain him. Yeah. To want to herd, but yeah. I can train him that chickens out is a trigger to come home. Yeah. And I have to matter more than that herding instinct to herd the chickens. <laughs> Because you're never going to take that instinct out of them. Yeah. That's such an amazing, good solution. Why I'm like all the more, you do have to be inquisitive and, and quite into figuring out the mystery. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he, cause he's going to see chickens and go, oh, yeah. can I do something? Yeah. And if he comes home, so then he comes home and I go, uh, uh-uh. uh, then I go come. And then mm-hmm. I might say, round them up. And then he, now yeah. so our next step now is to yeah. teach him to circle the chickens to round them up. So we're going to take that natural instinct yeah. and we're going to hone it to what I want him to do, which is not put them in his mouth, yeah. but he can circle them up Yeah, and, you know, do that. So, that's, so yeah, that, that's, you know, I've never done that before. Um, that's cool. That's I had so no cool. idea. I had no idea if we could yeah. even make this work. But it was okay. Let's let's try some things. Let's see what we can do, um, and and work from there. And and it's a building block. Yeah, you is know, mom liking I, it? Oh, she loves it. <laughs> um, this dog also could not be with other dogs. Oh. We now have him in a group environment with other dogs. Yeah. So um, we've talked. We've we've backed off the medication yeah. um, because we've been able to to make good progress. So yeah. so yeah, I mean. If you have a trainer that says to you, well, no, you have to do this. And this is the only way to do it. 
No. Yeah. No, there are tons of tools in the toolbox of training. Mm-hmm. Tons. And a trainer, a, a well-rounded trainer will have a bunch of tools. Yeah. And I do believe in the Lima philosophy. You know, let's start with least intrusive, minimally aversive yeah. and work our way down there. You know, try a slippery. Slippery doesn't work. All right, let's try a halty. Halty doesn't yeah. work. Let's try, you know, just yeah. keep what works for one dog doesn't work for the other. Yeah. Um, and it has to work for the human and the dog. And that's yeah. the other key piece to it. You know, I might be able to take your dog on a slip lead, but you might need a little extra control because of your physical ability or what have you. So maybe then a halty comes into play. So it's really just figuring out what works for the human dog relationship. And um, I want to forewarn people that if you are talking to a trainer and they start throwing around the term behaviorist, you need to be a little leery um, and ask some questions. So a lot of new jargon evolves into the dog training world. Yeah. Um, there are veterinary animal behaviorists, and I will tell you, there are very few of those and far between. Um, so it's a veteran veterinarian that has added to their education into okay. animal behaviorism. Yeah. Um, and that means that they specialize in the psychological um, drugs and okay. compounds yeah. to help dogs. Yeah. So they have a very specific skill set. Um, they typically have worked in a university setting or are affiliated with yeah. a university that does animal behavior research and things mm-hmm. along those lines. And I'm not talking like, you know, dogs testing cosmetics. I mean, like yeah. animal behaviorisms. Yeah. Um, and they're typically tied to a rescue or a shelter. In the training world, to say that I'm an animal behaviorist would probably be pretty accurate. I observe animal behaviors and I work to help them. Yeah. However, I'm not certified animal behaviorist. And there are very few entities that do that type of certification because that is really a lifelong learning. You have owned dogs your entire life. Oh yeah. You're learning all the time. I'm learning all the time. Always. Yeah. Right. So if somebody says, well, I'm an animal behaviorist, what does that mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You do need to ask that. And, and now that you've explained it, I'm like, okay, uh, the next trainer that I come across that may say that I would say, what do you mean by that? It needs a little more explaining. It does. And that's where then they should be talking about their education and their training philosophy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really where it comes into play. Yeah. Uh, and, and I'll tell you, people don't ask a lot of those questions because they just want their problem solved. Yeah. Yeah. And they want it solved as fast as possible. Uh-huh. Yeah. And not everything can be solved real yeah. fast. Yeah. Um, sometimes trainers will recommend rehoming and please, and I know that's hard and, and, you know, then we get into emotions. Yep. Um, just like I said, I feel like I fail when yeah. I fail a service dog because mm-hmm. I feel like I didn't do right. So yeah. I understand those feelings wholeheartedly. Um, but sometimes the human environment and the dog's needs don't mesh. Exactly. Don't and that, mesh. that really does happen. I know my parents adopted a dog. They adopted him from a shelter and they did have to rehome him. They rehomed him on a farm mm-hmm. where he was in heaven and mm-hmm. got calls every now and then from the person who they rehomed him to. He was in heaven. It was probably the best decision. It's a hard decision and your friends are going to go, what? Right. <laughs> and, right. and make you feel like a bad person, but you're not. 
No, you're doing what's right for the dog. Yeah. Truly. Um, and, and we've seen it numerous times, especially in homes where it's two dogs in a household. Yeah. Um, you rehome that one dog into a different home that maybe has other dogs and it works out perfect. Yeah. But your situation and setup just yeah. didn't work well. It didn't mesh well. And because it sounds like to me what you're saying with everything that you've learned and all of your experiences, they aren't just packed into one training. They aren't just packed right. into one source of education, though you may have the certifications. Correct. And, and that's really it. I mean, if somebody has a certification, it's no different than saying you have an associate degree or a bachelor's degree or a master's degree. It simply means you have logged hours and you've taken a test. Yeah. Yeah. So for my dog handler Academy program, where I take people that work in a daycare environment and I will certify them as a dog trainer and obedience training, um, they have logged the hours, they have mm -hmm. taken a quiz and then I take it a step further. They have to submit a video of themselves training the dog, meeting my specifications. And if they don't score high enough, they have to do it again. Yeah. Um, so having initials, you know, CCPD, KPTD, yeah. and all of those, um, and there's a wide range of them. Yeah. Um, and, and the list is ever growing. But uh, really, that means that someone has spent time to learn about animals. So there is there is not a certification that is wrong. Um, I can tell you that, that having that certification, certification just means that they're dedicated um, and they have chosen their certification based on different things. Mm -hmm. um, and the certifications have changed over the years as well, the criteria that's required and, yeah. and things along those lines. Um, I have yet to find one that I love that speaks to me and what I do. So if somebody came to me and said, Eve, what are you certified in? I would say, I am certified in dog training. And do you have certifications? I don't um, aspire to be pinned to any one camp. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I tell them the, the organizations that I belong to, the conferences that I go to, the tools that I utilize that are in my toolbox and where I start. And that is really where I go. And depending on the person's situation and the problem, the, and the dog that dictates my training. And, um, I, you know, I'm never in charge. I'm never, <laughs> I'm never in charge. You know, as much as I say, I'm a dog trainer, I'm a dog learner. Yeah. Uh, the dog is training me on what their needs are and how yeah. they want to be communicated with. Cause it's like people, everybody is a little bit different and what may work on you may not work on me. And, and I, I've noticed with my dogs, I, my golden and my, my Bernie doodle, they are two different dogs. The golden was so easy to train. Mm -hmm. <laughs> she was really, really easy to train. But Bernie Doodle was easy to train, but in a very different way. The things you've told us to do have been very helpful, but it's my first experience with uh, that type of a dog and that type of a learning. Sure, sure. And we've talked about different things. You know, we've yeah. talked about the find it's, we've talked yeah. about the distraction pieces, you know, oh, we yeah. talked about using compressed air and that's just it. Yeah. You know, it's a, a a good trainer um, will have tools in their toolbox. It won't mm -hmm. be, well, this is how you train. And yeah. this is the only way to train yeah. um, because that, that ideology is gone by the wayside. Yeah. Um, and training has very much evolved. And there are so many new tools now. I mean, think about, you know, we have now 
in-ground fencing. We have wireless fencing for our dogs. Yeah. We have dog trackers, you know, oh, little yeah. fobs they can oh, wear on their yeah. collars. Yeah. So, you know, everything <clears throat> has changed. Um, there was a dog in daycare actually yesterday, the mom called this morning, wanted to know why her dog hadn't logged any steps while in daycare. And I was like, huh? Where's <laughs> a Fitbit thing? And I said, oh yeah, that thing. I said, I had to take his collar off because the other dogs wanted to chew that thing. Yeah that yeah. was hanging on his collar. I said, and I didn't, I didn't know what it was. I thought it was like an in-ground fence thing. Um, <laughs> so I had yeah. taken the collar off. Cause I was like, oh my gosh, if a dog chews on this and then the battery yeah. comes off or just whatever else. Um, and she goes, oh yeah, that's his Fitbit. I just wanted to know how many steps he got. <laughs> <laughs> if you would have told me five years ago that we'd have Fitbits on dogs, dogs. I would have laughed at you yeah. hysterically. <laughs> um, and I think it's great. Cause it just, it shows that we care about yeah. our pets. Our pets are integrated into our everyday lives. Yeah. Um, what we do for ourselves, we are doing for our pets. And there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Um, but in the world of dog training, it has evolved. And if you are into dog training, you want to learn more. Uh, Google is your friend, truly. Yeah. I oh, mean, yeah. I, I adore listening to dog trainers. Like I said, I, even if I don't agree with them, I like to listen to them. I'm always curious of what their philosophy is. How did they get to that? Mm-hmm. Um, and I may never use what they've taught, but if I ever come across somebody that's using it, then I just know to walk away. Yeah. Um, there's a, a dog trainer out there that his whole teaching philosophy is bonking your dog on the head with like a pool noodle or a towel. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, he does not belong to either organization. In fact, I think they've both banned him. Um, but it's just when the hairs on the back of your neck stand up and you don't feel comfortable, yeah. walk away. You must. And, you know, because you, you brought up a point and I, and I have a question that I want to ask on that of people want their problem solved and they want it solved now, uh, though it's a lifelong learning type of a thing. What do you think of people who don't want to do the training at all? They want to send off puppy to a puppy boot camp and get it solved and then they'll learn from there but the puppy will come home and have it solved supposedly allegedly yes supposedly allegedly <laughs> so so those are those are board and trains um and i do board and trains and i will tell you most of the time when i get a board and trained dog it is for dog reactivity the owner is walking the dog and the dog is losing his mind and the owner is just they they're like i'm done i'm done I just don't know what to do. And they're so frustrated. And we are usually um, able to solve the problem. So I'm, I recondition the dog. Um, it's a lot of it's bat and cat um, are the acronyms for it, but it's behavioral um, training at a distance. So, so we're usually able to solve that problem. And then we bring the, the human back in. And then we work on breathing techniques and all the things that they need to do um, And I will tell you, those dogs are usually good for a good six or eight months because then the owners slide in that lifelong training. (laughs) And then uh, they come. So we always tell them, if you come back and and do boarding with us, we'll we'll do touch-up training during that stay. Um, It truly is. It's up to the human. Um, There's, I don't think there's anything wrong with the board and train program. I run three different ones. I do a board and train where they're with me three weeks. I do stay and train where they're with me Monday through Friday and they go home on the weekend. And I do day training where they come every day for the three weeks. So there's different options. And again, it depends on what fits the home and the lifestyle. 
And I will tell you, small children really dictate that because um, they can't imagine Fluffy not spending the night in their bed. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so they dictate a lot of which program. Um, but, you know, the key is that people need to, under, like you said, people need to understand, I can work your dog and your dog will be great for me. And now you need to follow through as the human. It is your responsibility to follow through on the training. And you've invested a serious dollar amount into this. Yeah. And, and honestly, that is one of the reasons why trainers do charge a significant dollar amount for that, because we're, we're hoping that you're going to put your money where your mouth is and vice versa, because yeah. we want you to follow through. And mm-hmm. we hope that if the dollar amount is significant enough, that that is your buy-in to make yeah. this happen. Um, and so, yeah, so those situations are good. I can tell you, depending on what type of training you you want done, um, the length of time needs to be questioned, um, and things to watch out for. Can you come and see the dog? Oh, yeah. So okay. in my three week long training program, you can come once a week. Uh, typically on a Sunday for an hour and just play with your dog. I'm not going to talk to you about training. We're not going to do that. It is simply meant for you and the dog to have a little hour of fun. Yeah. Um, how do you get updates on the dog? How is that communicated to you? If you don't get any communication while that dog is away for training, that's a red flag. Yeah. Um, I have Facebook. So we just, we shoot Facebook videos and put them up. Um, what is the, what is the after training follow-up? So I do a usually one hour to hour and a half session. And then I tell them in two weeks, you call me and we can do another 45 minute to an hour follow-up session. Cause I'm trying to give you all this information that I've spent three weeks honing yeah. <laughs> and you're just so excited to see your dog and this and yeah. that, that you may not remember everything. Um, so yeah, what is the aftercare follow-up? So another really good question that people always ask, is there a guarantee? I said, well, are you going to guarantee to me that you're going to keep up with the training? Yeah. I can't. Like if you tell me absolutely hundred percent, I will sign on the dotted line. I'm going to be so diligent. Absolutely. I'll guarantee it. But the reality is, right, <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, I mean, the reality is, come on. Yeah. Um, you know, that's like saying your kid will never get in trouble at school. Oh yeah. Right. Um, yeah. we all have the best of intentions and, and so that's just it. So what is the follow-up? Um, some trainers will give you lifetime follow-up where you can come back anytime and do some touch-up lessons. Um, but there should be some sort of a follow-up sure. program plan. Maybe, you know, you join their monthly Facebook group, whatever that might be. Um, there should be some offering to help you continue along the dog's journey. And one Um, thing I wonder about, I worry about is how hard is it on the dog for a board and train? Usually, uh, so like for us, the first day is just no training. It is just let them decompress, let them get used to us coming in and out, taking them out to potty. Um, And then usually day two, we play some games with them and just kind of have some fun. We're throwing treats around just getting to know the personality and building relationship. Sometimes that building relationship takes longer. And so maybe the board and train is extended to a four week program. Um, But, and that's again, honoring the dog. 
What does the dog need? How do I get to communicate with your dog? Uh, I, one of the board and trains we had, the dog would bite the woman's feet if she had a blanket over her legs and she wanted the dog to stop doing that. And I said, well, I will see what I can do. So I kept setting up the scenario. Dog wasn't having it. Dog wasn't having it. All right. So found out the difference was I needed to have bare feet under the blanket, not my <laughs> shoes. Uh, yeah. And the key, you know, when your feet are bare and you kind of wiggle your toes. Yeah. Oh yeah. That got the dog super excited. <laughs> <laughs> and then he would bite your dang toes. Um, so some things just take longer, you know, the dog yeah. didn't trust me. I didn't understand the whole concept. Um, but yeah, so, so there needs to be good communication. There needs to be a follow-up program in some way, shape or form. Uh, and don't be offended if there is a charge for that follow-up program, yeah. because yeah. again, you are not just getting your dog trained. You are accessing a plethora of knowledge from this person yeah. and it all takes time, energy, and effort. Um, so, so yeah, uh, I have numerous programs at my facility to try and fit everybody's budget and needs. Um, but I'm also very cognitive of how much time is involved. So my dog school program where a dog only comes twice a week, that one is three months long. I need more time because I'm only seeing your dog two days a week. That also makes it much more affordable on a per weekly basis to where my board and train, it's one lump sum, it's significant, and I have your dog for three weeks straight. So there are pros and cons to all the different methods and mythologies. It's just understanding that everything is a timed fashion. And with you and your staff and your trainers, is there a particular type of, of patients that you learn or have yeah. So when it comes to uh, like, I really enjoy working with feral dogs, dogs that are just scared of life and helping them to realize how to be a dog like that. That's like my little makes me giddy inside. I have another trainer. She loves puppies. Give her the ones that are going to pee in the kennel, bark <laughs> at everything. Like she loves working with them. So we each have our differences. You know, I look at that puppy and I go, really, really, you got to be that way. Come on now, let's go to where I have more compassion for the feral dog or the yeah. puppy mill dog who has never had experience and is just terrified. So patience is a virtue in the dog training world. And if you have a trainer that doesn't seem to have patience, that's a red flag for sure. Because no matter what, we have to have patience. We have to honor that dog. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, honoring the dog. Yeah. And, and did you want, right. did you want to talk about how being the service dogs learned into training went into owning your own doggy daycare? Yeah, it's a it's an odd thing. Um, so I have a bachelor's degree in business, and uh, I actually previously had owned my own yeah. quick printing type of company. So you know, letterhead, business cards, brochures. And was doing that while I had started to get into the service dog world. I was owned that business when I was asked to sit in on the board. Uh, and then from there, I worked at corporate jobs, um, doing sales and legal and HR and various things, all while just continuing to learn about dogs. Like dogs were my hobby at that time. 
And then when doggy daycares kind of came to be, um, we were like, you know, our service dogs, they need a day off. So we enrolled them in a dog daycare. So one day a week, a different dog would go to daycare and just get to be a dog and have a great time. And I had a bad experience at a doggy daycare. And it wasn't a bad dog experience. It was actually a bad human experience. And I thought, oh my gosh, I can do this so much better. (laughs) And I did. (laughs) So it took me five years to do research. I traveled um, five states in the Midwest touring other dog daycare facilities. So my weekends were like, hey, road trip, 10 hours. Um, And I would plot out different daycares. I would call them in advance. Hey, I'm doing some research. You know, I'm looking at opening up my own facility. I'm 10 hours away from you. Can I come and check out your place? And I did. And I went and I learned. And I learned more what not to do um, in a dog daycare and boarding environment. And it was great education. So then when I decided to take that leap and to open up a facility, um, which is a big leap, just opening a business is a big leap. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And uh, I felt good about what I was doing. And I am an innovator in the sense of, I love knowledge. I love to take things and go, how can I make it better? How can I make it better? How can I make it better? Um, today's my day off. And I was at the facility at eight o'clock this morning and I was back by some of the crates and I'm like, you know what? I think I can make this, I'm going to do this and this and this, and I think this is going to work better and da da da. And just really trying to, to make things progress. And as our relationship with animals has progressed, yeah. You know, they don't just sleep on the front porch anymore and run the neighborhood. You know, they're in our beds. They're, they're seeing eye dogs now, you know, they, they do so much now, um, that, yeah, I'm just fascinated by them. I'll just sit and watch them. Yeah. Yeah. I do. I, you know, I'll just sit and watch them play and interact and, um, find it very interesting. You know, why did they do that? Oh, did you see that little ear went straight out like that? Um, So, so yeah, my curiosity, um, keeps me into the industry. Uh, so yeah, so dog daycare boarding and we board cats and parrots and ferrets. And we have a bunny there right now. Um, we have a pot belly pig that comes frequently for boarding. Uh, so animals and then, uh, the training, you know, we do the board and trains, we do dog school, we do group classes and then my nonprofit second chance to shine where We work with dogs that have behavioral issues from shelters and rescues, and we work to make them more adoptable. You know, those are my challenge ones. Those Mm -hmm. are my first dog, Sasha. Those are the ones that (laughs) teach me the most. Yeah. And what worked for one doesn't work for the other. You know, they all have different backgrounds. Uh, We have three that were, um, two grew up in a shelter and then went to a foster-based rescue where they didn't get socialized. And so they are like feral. Um, and it's taken us four months to get them that when we say their name, they actually turn and look at us for acknowledgement. Oh, uh, one yeah. of them, I, I still can't touch. Um, we're working on it, but uh, I can sneak a pet in if it like comes and sniffs me from behind kind of thing. Um, we have two dogs that uh, don't like other dogs. That's fine. You don't have to like other dogs, but you can't be a jerk. Uh-huh. <laughs> So, you know, we're working on that. Um, three of the dogs in the program, when they came to us, we were told they were dog aggressive, solo, 
and they now attend doggy daycare. Now they're not in the high energy obnoxious crew. Um, they're in the medium to low energy group, but the fact that they can be in a group with 20 other dogs yeah. and enjoy themselves um, truly, you know, play with other dogs and have dog on dog interactions in a positive manner is, is great. So, so that's my educational yeah. program is my second chance to shine group. Um, and then my dog handler Academy, where I'm teaching individuals that work at veterinary clinics and grooming shops and shelters and dog daycares on how to have human and dog interactions, meets and greets, and uh, how to care for animals and how to read dog body language in a pack environment. So, so yeah, so, you know, bachelor's degree in business, corporate America, owning a printing business, and then uh, into the dog world. And I, I don't foresee my, my end path not being around dogs. I, oh, I yeah. think, I think my curiosity about them uh, will keep me in that dog arena for quite some time. I, I have plans. Um, I'm working with a trainer actually out of Texas, who's going to move up uh, to the Midwest. And we're looking at opening up a school to help people to become dog trainers. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, there's lots of, there are other programs out there. Um, she specializes in feral dogs, street dogs, that type mm -hmm. of thing. Mm -hmm. um, I love behavior modification stuff. Yeah. And, uh, and there's other people um, near me that, that have some specialties. So we just think that we could do yeah. a school and be able to offer a wide array of things, depending on where people want to go. You want to go scent yeah. work? Do you want to go police dog work? Do you want to go yeah. service dog work? You know, do you want to work in a shelter or rescue? Do you want to specialize in feral? Do you want to specialize in aggression? Um, and, and yeah, kind of create a, a program for that. So, so that'll be yeah. 2022, um, is our, uh, goal to uh, launch that program. Cause I think it's just inspiring that you, yeah, you've done other things, but for the past many years, you've had a career you love. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I am naturally awake, uh, about 5.00 AM. And first thing I do is I go to my dog pages and I, I'm looking <laughs> what happened in New Zealand last night in the dog community. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And it is a global, you know, that dogs and human relationships are a global thing. Uh -huh. So I love being connected um, to that type of environment mm -hmm. and understanding um, how that works. My, my friend, Tina Patel, she studies street dogs in third world countries. Yeah. And I love just checking in on that and finding out what's transpiring there and uh, personal protection dogs, protecting private schools in Africa so children can get an education. You know, just yeah. things we wouldn't think of. Yep. Um, and just how, again, that human animal relationship works yeah. astounds me. So, so yeah, so I took what was a hobby, um, which was a, you know, my passion, my, my release, my stress relief was to yeah. grab a service dog, you know, after my corporate job, <laughs> um, grab a service dog and go walk through Walmart. Like that was yeah. fun to me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That sure. was my excitement for the day. Um, and uh, make that into to a business and into, I think, a lifelong learning yeah. expose for me is, is great. I'm super excited. My nine-year-old tells me she's going to be a dog trainer. Yeah. Um, so we'll see how far that goes. I, I have a feeling she's going to follow in those footsteps. But, but it's uh, the perfect training ground for her in, you know, and being able to see the doggy daycare and seeing so much body language and seeing so much different 
interaction of dogs. You just can't get that anywhere else. No. But seeing it. Yeah. On our way to school this morning, there was a dog with its head out the window. And I said, oh, look at the dog. And she goes, well, that's a husky mix. I'm going to guess it's mixed with a Malinois because of the, and she's like pointing out different yeah. pieces of the dog that's leading her for into that belief. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I just noticed that they're kind of giggling to myself going, yeah, she belongs yep. to me. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot deny that factor. And um, yeah, in fact, I tell her teachers, if she is struggling in school on something, they need to relate it back to doggy daycare. Yeah whether it's math and how to run the business, whether it's spelling and how to communicate with the pet parent. So just relate whatever it is she's having yeah. a little struggle with because she's a very logical child, unfortunately, or fortunately. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. She'll go, well, why do I need to know this? Well, because you're going to need oh. it when you do this with dogs. Oh, okay. Then she's totally good about it. She's like, yep, I'll learn it. No problem. Yeah. But if it's just that, well, you have to because it's required. She'll be like, no, not doing it. Well, we're all that way. And we, you know, it, it's so relatable. Dogs do it to us all the time. They're oh, like, yeah. yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go run and chase the squirrel. Uh, uh -huh. No, I'm done walking. You need to pick me up and carry me now. <laughs> I'm going to bark but, if I want to. <laughs> correct. Yeah. Hey, do you see that thing over there? Oh my gosh, that's atrocious, right? Like, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so the dogs do it too. It's just in a different language. Uh -huh. but, uh, yeah. It's, it's interesting. And I, I do love the dogs. I love the learning. Um, I, maybe I'll venture into, you know, doing some mammal stuff or aquatics or, yeah, I don't know, but yeah, it's, it's interesting to learn lifelong education. The future is wide open. It is. I mean, I, I don't foresee, uh, dogs leaving my household anytime soon. Mm -mm. No, we have a, we have a hamster. We're working on hamster training. Really? Mm -hmm. Oh, cool. You see, the longest I've been without a pet is. When I lived in Los Angeles for two years and it was just excruciating because <laughs> yeah you can go visit your friends who have pets you can you know be around pets but to have your own pet oh, is yeah. it's important it's a good part of life absolutely yeah I went a year I lived in the dorms in college um and back then you know they didn't understand what therapy pets were and whatever so I had no pet and as soon as I moved out of the dorms, I got an iguana who wore a harness and had a leash and we went wow. for walks and it loved TCBY yogurt and, <laughs> McDonald's, and McDonald's French fries. Yeah. So yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, you know, I, I've had a lot of fun talking with you today. Absolutely. And, uh, for anybody who's like, maybe the way for me to go is with a career with pets or with dogs. What's the one piece of advice you would want to leave them with? Educate yourself, go outside the box. Um, I will tell you, I had a plethora of naysayers who, when I said, oh, I'm going to open up a doggy daycare, you're going to what? Why would people bring their dog to a daycare? That's ridiculous. Um, believe in yourself and, and educate yourself. Like I said, I went and visited tons of other facilities outside of my bubble um, to learn. So if you love dog walking, go to some YouTube videos, um, go to, you know, Google dog walking, yeah. um, find out what your local municipality laws are and things like that. Um, I think it's California. You're not allowed to walk more than eight dogs at a time or something. Wow. Yeah. There's yeah, like there's different things everywhere. So I would want to. <laughs> oh my gosh, right? Um, but yeah, so I mean, just really do some education. 
um, and, and some research and anything is possible. Uh, I have a friend who makes her entire living doing pet portraits. She's an artist and she loves animals. She now does pet portraits and she makes a very nice living doing so. Yeah. So, you know, anything is possible. You just need to, to figure it out. And um, yeah, had I not had that bad dog daycare experience, I probably would not have started a doggy daycare, but good (laughs) thing you did. I did. I took a negative moment and just said, oh my gosh, I can do this so much better. And, um, and yeah, I have, and that has just completely compounded, um, into so many other things. So, so yeah, education, education is really the key. Uh, Again, you don't need to be certified, but you need to be educated and you need to make sure that you're always curious uh, and asking those why based questions. Thank you. And I'm looking forward to next month where we're going to talk about the holidays coming up, boarding, you know, some of the questions you would ask somebody boarding and Uh, some of the things that have happened recently in the industry. I'm I'm real excited about that. Yes, no, absolutely. Yeah. Pet safety and uh, um, how to not ask so much of your uh, pet industry caretakers. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And and, because it's a good relationship to have and, uh, and definitely it's, it's one worth uh, we're sharing talking about and, and learning. Beautiful. Well, we look forward to next month. All right. Thank you.